All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to our podcast. We are all very new at this. And our title of our podcast is going to be Being Proficient. Being Proficient, because we're all proficient teachers here. Um, even, you know, regardless of what kind of experience, we've been deemed proficient. And that's that's a good thing to be, right? You're proficient in whatever you need to do. Absolutely. Sounds very um, professional. Very professional. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my name is Rick Besa. I'm Kevin Heisinger. I'm Adam Ebert. And uh, we are all high school teachers. We're going to introduce ourselves. Uh, so uh, this is this is Rick again. I uh, have been a teacher in a high school for quite a long time now. This is my 22nd year here, I believe. Uh, I only know that because I've been getting a bonus for one year and a half. When do they so. give you watches? When do they get? When do you get a watch? We we didn't negotiate for watches. We <laughs> they just gave negotiated. Watch, and then he was like, "This is not good enough of a <laughs> yeah. watch. We need a better watch. This he isn't going to work." it in for a microscope. Yeah. So other people didn't want watches. They wanted like cats and stuff. So and what, just, at this high school, what do you teach at this high school? Um, I've been here. I've been teaching pretty consistently biology and AP biology. Um, I've taught a lot of other stuff along the way, including chemistry and. Uh, some other classes that don't exist anymore. We used to teach some other really cool stuff. Uh, like we actually did have GIS classes at one point and we had some uh, botany and food chemistry and things like that. Astronomy. Um, we can never get them to teach astrology for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. So we used to have a whole bunch of other classes like that, but my primary load has been biology, honors biology and AP biology for a while now. Cool. I've been teaching here at our school for about 12 years now. Um, I teach chemistry. Or they now turn me into a chem teacher. So when you cannot find a chem teacher, eventually they're like, hey, you're teaching this class. <laughs> you're going to do this now. And now I actually am a chem teacher. So when this I started that 10 years ago, I knew biology and AP bio. And then I was like, yeah, I can figure this out, kind of. Be one day this work. Yeah. yeah. But now I actually do consider myself a chem teacher and good at teaching it. And uh, it's my first year teaching AP Environmental, which I'm really enjoying that class. Mm -hmm. So it's it's neat. I like it. Kids are loving it too. And I, um, uh, I this is my fourth year at Bloom. I've taught both reading and English, although English is kind of a newer change starting uh, this past year. Um, freshman, first time I've taught freshman, which is a, an adventure every day, <laughs> basically. Um, it is an adventure. Yeah, well, truly. And then just, yeah. although I've never taught junior, uh, I've never taught seniors here, which is, I think, probably for the best because I think you start to see, other than maybe like our AP track seniors, I could assume you start to see seniors check out right about now in the school year. Yes. So those. Yeah, it's challenging at this point of the year. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And even juniors, juniors are like locked in, but my AP kids were stressed. They're stressed about SAT. They're stressed about AP exams. So um, yeah, reading and English is the way to do it. Well, you also spent a... A year as an instructional coach, from I did. what I remember. Yeah, well, that's how I made so. that transition between reading and English. Is I was an instructional coach for a brief, it was like a the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase of being an instructional coach. And now it's completely over. I was an instructional coach for a little while, too. So, so anyway, so uh, the purpose of this uh, podcast is, number one, we're doing a a uh, an institute on podcast. So we thought we should actually make one. Uh, but we also really did want to, long term... Uh, come up with a with a podcast that we could do about education. So uh, we use technology on a regular basis. All of us do. Uh, my career has been pretty heavily technology based, and 
podcasts are something that I find myself, I have found myself listening to on a regular basis. And last year I started um, using some in the classroom, stuff like that. So that's where this particular uh, intro came from. So, so therefore what we're going to kind of talk about, and I think maybe we'll have uh, Kev talk first. So today's topic is integrating technology into our curriculum. How do we do that? What does that look like? Certainly what Rick said, podcasting is one of those things. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of discuss um, how do we integrate technology technology effectively, right? That's the big thing, effectively into our classrooms because anybody can just throw some technology in, but is it making our is it making our students' experiences better to keep that general? Yeah. So, so how are you integrating technology into your classroom? So into my classroom, you can definitely use technology wrong very consistently. <laughs> um, and, and to using it effectively can be very challenging. Right now, I've been using this program that I just love. It's called Edpuzzle. Mm-hmm. So I can find small little videos, and it's, it's differentiated instruction. So as my kids are watching a video along the way, sometimes the video is me. So sometimes I record myself doing some problems or just talking or doing a lab. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't here. They can do it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, we do our notes from it. I'll find somebody that has explosions that are going on in the background and stuff that we're talking about so they can actually visually see it, but then I'm asking questions along the way. So in this program, as you're, you can create your own questions, you can share Ed puzzles with other teachers. Um, and there's plenty out there that are really bad. So I found stuff where, you know, it's, it's not an improvement. It, it'd be better if I just lecture with the kids in front of the classroom. Um, but there are times where we can show them things that are happening in the real world that I can't demonstrate into the classroom, but I can provide those questions linking it back to what we have done in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, the best part about it is I can have half my class start with the video and then I can do some one-on-one stuff with all these other kids and we just flip-flop it. All right, now you all do the video and I'll talk to you guys. Yeah. So just having that, it's I've gotten a lot more one-on-one and I can have a lot more personal conversations with students. So that actually really helped me better connect with my kids. Um, there, there's a million things we could talk about. So especially the upper level classes, um, we like to compile all our data in one spot. So with Google Docs and all that kind of stuff, and we can talk more specific about those things. But like with Google Sheets, I can have all of my kids compiling data on one stuff. Um, so something that normally would have taken us three class periods of writing down numbers and not really learning anything, but just doing writing down numbers, number, 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 and they're not picking up anything from it. But now we have enough data. We can accomplish that in half an hour. With you know? Google Docs. Or yeah, yeah. So in Google Docs, so like we did a, a lab in environmental where we looked at cemetery data from Cuba, Japan, and I could let them pick their own countries. And mm-hmm. we found websites that had all the information. And very quickly, you know, every kid's compiling 30 names of birth dates, death dates. And we had this giant list of Cuba compared to Japan compared to the United States. And then we could look at some really cool stuff. So we took that data and I took the data once they did all of that with it. And we looked at before the 1900s, after the 1900s. And my kids that could figure that stuff out. Showed I showed everyone how to. Some of them played around with it on their own. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't like that. I said, all right, I, I will also compile all the information for you. So like, let's take a look and let's come up with reasoning what's going on here. But having all that data available for a lot of teachers can be overwhelming. Like, yeah. where do I so, start? It's lots to figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've I've had that same exact experience in terms of um, data usage and uh my AP biology class, especially when you're doing statistics and stuff like that. It's really cool because you can uh, have students analyze things given a very small sample and then have them 
then pool that data with everybody else in all the other classes and see exactly how the analysis actually changes when your sample size increases, you know, exponentially in different classes. Um, so that's been something that's been been really helpful, helpful and save time over the, the last few years. But so. So, I mean, definitely looking at it from an English side to certainly like this whole Google suite, right, which is probably we're talking within the last seven or eight years, we've seen that implemented it and basically blown up across education with Google Classroom, Google Docs, Google Slides. I think just about the majority of those Google programs we're utilizing at this school in a variety of classes. I know yeah. I use Google Docs. I use Google Slides um, as basically instead of a PowerPoint. Also, because I think when we see like a, people using a PowerPoint, I feel like they're kind of slumming it <laughs> because they're like, oh, I got to I got to save this PowerPoint and make sure that it works on this computer that I'm going to use it on it. And then they have a video in their PowerPoint and that video never works. Yeah. Um, but even looking at and, and I'll one of the, the teacher I took over for last year, I, I really compliment him in his use of Google Docs and and Google Sheets in that he would have students chart their progress in a Google Sheet, um, have it be interactive. He could comment on students' things, uh, comment on student progress for certain skills, and you could see that progression. Now, could that be done on a, on a piece of paper that they just track themselves? Certainly, but I think there's that level of commenting and revision and simply sharing that document. Yeah, it's a live document that people can consistently go back to that's going to be there forever. It's not mm -hmm. something that they're going to lose. You know, it's there all the time. And even, even during Socratic seminars, what I've done when I've had an inner and an outer circle in those Socratic seminars, I'll have students in the outer circle uh, in a shared document on Google Docs taking notes of what that inner circle is saying. So maybe when we switch circles, they already have those shared notes. Right. And they can basically build off of the con the, the conversation that first inner circle had. So I think what I think what you're basically trying to say is that when this whole platform came about, that was a I mean, that was a learning management system. The first learning management system that basically had all the pieces there for everything. So for example, Blackboard's been around. I mean, I've been teaching at online classes at Governor State for ages, um, literally like 15 years. And we went from a platform called WebCT then to a platform called Blackboard. Mm -hmm. But it's always been just a, a placeholder of documents. Yeah, It hasn't really been a place where, I mean, there were discussion boards and stuff like that, but you couldn't put students into a common document and have them work on the same document at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and what Google was able to do is able to take all of those pieces and let, make them seamlessly integrate so that the teacher now has control over the platform and can deliver whatever instruction it is they want to their students. And I think that's just right. The resources of Google at, at, at play, right? Because mm -hmm. as much money as schools are paying for Blackboard or Canvas, that doesn't, that, well, that was just matches the capital of Google. Correct. But that was just, that was actually the biggest problem because we had a lot of cap, we had the capital at, the university to spend on the learning management system. Mm -hmm. We didn't have it at the high school level. Yeah. So, well, some high schools did, but we, we didn't have no. it. So uh, Google capitalized that because they realized most places didn't have that. So they went after the high school. And for that first four or five years that we were using 
because uh, I mean, what, it's really only been four or five years since we've had Chromebooks and stuff consistently. Uh, yeah. Um, it seemed like when I started, it seemed newer, but now it's kind of understood that everyone has, if you have a Chromebook card, everyone has <laughs> uh, a Google Classroom page. Right. Everyone is posting assignments, posting, um, you know, the notes for that day, any number of things on that Google Classroom page. In addition to, I know you can do quizzes now. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a number of things that you can have. I don't know if they, they don't do discussion boards, but I know there's kind of better services a, yeah. that would do that. If you, you can use Google Blogger for that if you really wanted to. Mm -hmm. So, But the point I was trying to make was that the colleges still embraced Black, Blackboard and were, you know, still having their students just make Word documents and things like that and upload them. Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time, and actually still kind of a little bit, uh, where the students that I had at Governor State in my lecture classes, they, I had students that never used any of those products at all. Mm -hmm. So when I started integrating the stuff, some of the stuff that I was doing in high school in terms of, you know, spreadsheets that were shared between multiple students, they were blown away because they'd yeah. never seen it before. No. You know, they had had, they'd all been using Excel and stuff like that. But as soon as they could figure out, as soon as they figured out that they could share documents with other people, it just exploded. And there's, I mean, there is a dark side. As I was mentioning before, there's, you really got to see, because sometimes if I have a student typing up an essay in a Google Doc, I, I really need to see who they're sharing that document. No, with. absolutely. Um, and, and it's interesting. I'm almost expecting soon enough on either a Google Doc or in Google Classroom that you can, when you're looking at the data for an assignment, you could see student X shared this document with student Y and Z. And it's yeah, like, exactly. uh, okay, well, I know where some yep. of us are getting our answers from kind of a thing. <laughs> so, I mean, there is that, there is sometimes, well, how are we using this? And what's the benefit of using this particular thing, which I think mm -hmm. brings us to the SAMR model, right? Correct. Um, so the SAMR model is essentially this structure that's put in place, um, to say, well, if you're incorporating technology into your classroom, what is, let's say, the level of effective implementation? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I, I'm looking at them right here. The first level is just substituting a basic task. Correct. And we go to augmenting that task, which we're talking about enhancement there, modifying, so we're starting to redesign, and you, then redefinition, in which you're changing the entire task from what it would have been without technology. Correct. So I think that's something, even... You know, uh, obviously, we got to bring up graphic novels. I'd think about those things. <laughs> I think about those things when I would incorporate any kind of graphic novel or new piece of media. Is where does it fit in the SAMR model? But I think the SAMR model is, is much better for technology. Yeah. So, like for example, today, I mean, we use we use technology for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some of it is for cost. Some of it's for convenience. Mm -hmm. Some of it's for. It's not always used to you know, make whatever it is that you're doing better, you know, and nobody's saying that there's any particular piece of this model that's better than another piece. Mm -hmm. um, but what it really is designed to do is to make you reflect on why you're doing what it is that you're doing. So, mm -hmm. for example, today I had a, a good uh, example for substitution. I had something that I wanted at the last minute. I did not want to have to print it and copy it because all the students were going to have to do was be able to read, you know, a section of an essay. And then the stuff that I did have copied was the actual rubric because they were grading 
uh, an essay, an AP bio essay that somebody else did. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were practicing. They were they basically were grading a um, a perfect essay and then a mid and a low essay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need to print ten pages of stuff for them to, you know, read. It would have been yeah. a it wouldn't have been a waste of paper because they could have highlighted it. They could have done that and that. But it was something that I ended up doing at the last minute in place of something else, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't want to have to do that. So I just yeah. printed the rubrics and said so. Is that was that a, a valid substitution? Mm-hmm. I would say yes because it it saved me time. It saved the money in mm-hmm. terms of the resources. Yeah, and we were able to get to the same exact place that we wanted to get to. And I'm seeing like, you know, for instance, that substitution level is like, all right, well, I have a handout in which students are just writing on that handout, filling out that handout. If I'm just do, doing that on a Google document, yeah, I'm saving, you know, a good number of trees, but you're basically just doing the same thing. I think when we're talking about efficiency um, and the structure of that lesson, then I think we're starting to get into higher levels. Even, um, I know Google Drive, I was looking at some images for our literary magazine. Now you can annotate with comments an image. So like we could just throw on an image and now that's much more than like, I don't know, I think that's just taking the place of graphic organizers, but it's annotating on this deeper level mm-hmm. of which stu- a number of students can annotate on a particular image or a text where that could never happen efficiently on paper. Correct. Right. We could put we could put an article on a big piece of poster board, have them write sticky notes. Um but then once it's, you know, the internet is written in pen, so that can, that kind of stays there forever instead of pencil. The internet's written in pen, not pencil. So once we create that, that's kind of stuck there forever. Um, even I know uh, you were making stop motion films with your bio students. Yeah. Yeah, we were. So we're, I was trying to, uh, I mean, we all, there's all kinds of different things that we've done in the past in terms of, you know, identifying the phases of mitosis and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe watching, say, a short animation on X, Y, and Z. But I wanted them to actually create their their own short video so they could see and actually chart it out from beginning to end in terms of what it is mm-hmm. uh, that's happening and actually make the pieces and actually have something, you know, to touch. So I gave them uh, I gave them basically whiteboards, like big whiteboards, and then maybe two or three different colors of Play-Doh and said, okay, you know, you need six pictures per phase mm. and you now have to take those and basically make a stop motion video. Um, could we have drawn that out? Yeah, we could have drawn it out, mm. but it, it doesn't have the novelty aspect. It would have been engaging. Yeah, it probably would have been engaging, but this is something that you can now take uh, you made this really cool thing. You can show parents. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid can go back and actually look at other kids. Yeah. It's a something that's a different and a little more. Um, they take a little more pride in actually doing. I think. Mm-hmm. Plus, well, it seems more like even if they're not in that creative mindset, they still see this as like I'm making a video that contribute. You know, it contributes to. I can put that out in the world. I can share that with someone that's much more than like I drew something. Right. Um, I think it's starting to hit into, and, and they're also, they're making it with their phones, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think too, and maybe we can kind of end on this note before we get into our favorite podcast. How do we think, <laughs> now phones are, are such like a sticky wicket because like some kids, and you can see them, some kids have the newest phone and some kids are 
generations behind. Even I have one student, and I think it's mainly by choice, has a flip phone. Uh-huh. Like she just has a flip phone. So how do we kind of, if we want to, because sometimes there is a push and that question comes up, well, how can we incorporate students using their smartphones in class? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's never really a good answer unless you can kind of guarantee, you know, say every student in this room has an iPhone. So I can go, okay, and then does every student have service or is every student right. hooked up to the Wi-Fi if I want them to, you know, they, they could, now we're recording this on Anchor, they could rec- uh, download Anchor on their phones and record a podcast as part of an assessment. Right. But do they have those means to do so? I think that's hard because sometimes when you can't guarantee that every student has the compatible piece of technology, then it becomes like a kind of a crapshoot. Well, with that particular assignment, um, what I did was I had them working in like groups of three. Mm-hmm. So somebody, there was enough technology in the room that I, yeah. So I, I think, yeah. When you have, there's at least one person and you can yeah. almost kind of survey like, all right, you have an iPhone eight and you could do Correct. this and you, you know, you got Correct. service so you can do this. But I mean, even I know some schools are one-to-one with Chromebooks or MacBooks or iPads. Obviously we're not close to that in terms of every student having one, but just about, I can assume every student is interacting with Chromebooks in at least some of their classes. Yeah. But some of those are, we're kind of tied into our own personal network of you can't download this. You can't use that. Right. So sometimes there are restrictions, but I think that's sometimes our phones. Like you can record on your phones, you can record audio, you can record video, you can edit video, you can edit audio on your phones. And I think that's a huge, a huge thing that we couldn't even. And that's a generation gap too. Cause I mean, I have students that, that that is their primary computing device period. That's their only computing device. Well, so we, run when, into, we run yeah. into problems there. Like my, my, some of my students didn't know like copy and paste control oh, C absolutely. control V yeah. because mm-hmm. that's not how their smartphones work. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> of, of they just, you know, now it's like a press and a hold, which, you know, I know the teacher Chromebooks have touch screens, but the kids Chromebooks don't. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny actually. The ki- I see the kids touching the screens all the time because they're trying to get something to move and they forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because like the generation, probably the oldest teachers in our building, some of them are starting to get with it, especially if they own a smartphone. Which again, just about everybody does. I don't think it's not difficult to acquire that technology at this point. Um, even if you're talking about, I have an iPhone. Probably the most functional is like an iPhone 5s at this point. Yeah, everything probably. else is getting bricked. I don't know about <laughs> I don't know about Android, but usually those are a little bit easier to come by. Um, but yeah, we're seeing that there's this group probably from like their 20s to I'd say even into like their 60s. Those teachers are all pretty functional with technology to some degree. Yeah, especially if we're having seminars on Google Classroom and Google Suites, so that teachers can use those. But then when we get into and this is something we'll talk about in our presentation is how does that teacher who, you know, knows how to use their phone, how do they incorporate that technology? Sometimes it is a bit of a learning curve and that kind of sets them off too. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think that's where many districts are uh, lacking in terms of support in their districts, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so for example, I know that some of my friends that work in better off districts, if they have a question like that and they, and they want someone to help them, there's somebody there available to actually do that. You yeah. Know, a technology yeah. specialist or for instance, yeah, one of my friends is a technology coach in a, mm-hmm. in a in a district close here and kind of doing that. All right, here's here's this latest app. 
Um, I'm going to be doing a PD session on how to incorporate this Correct. app, those kinds of things, which again, you know, boils down a lot of times to resources or um, the school goals and the focus and, and those types Correct. of things, how they differ from district to district. Yep. So that those are some of the downfalls, but sometimes it is choose your own adventure based on how you want to incorporate technology and what you want to do with any particular piece of curriculum you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think we're going to kind of wrap up here with just a general discussion of our favorite podcasts. Um, uh, Dr. Basie here is pulling up his phone. I think we can go first <laughs> um, and we can kind of go through some of the, you know, maybe there's like, let's do like the, the maybe some general picks of what like even people in the peanut gallery would appreciate. And then yeah. what are like your deep cuts of things that maybe like aren't just like for Dr. Besa, but are like kind of just for Dr. Besa. All right. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to read a few things that I just have on here. Mm -hmm. I think I'll start out with that. So, um, 60 minutes, uh, which is obviously 60 minutes. Yeah. I uh, armchair expert with, uh, Dax Shepard. Okay. That's one that's on here. And actually we went to go see, uh, Dax Shepard, uh, his like his like arc is because it's like I feel like he was obnoxious on punk, but now he's kind of made this progression of legitimacy. He got married to Kristen Bell. He is he a couple very shows, well a couple movies. spoken, so very think, well read. He can talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a guy that you would just love to have come to dinner because he'd be hilarious. See, I think and, and I think that's a that's an interesting arc because I so, think and he's still breaking that off with me. Yeah. So we went to go see him uh, at Chicago sold out Chicago theater. He interviewed uh, Jillian Flynn. Okay. Uh, so that was, that was his show. Um, so, but other things that are on here, I have uh, one that I'm finishing up called Dr. Death. That's a pretty amazing podcast about a, how a doctor got to where he was and he never should have been there. Um, Freakonomics Radio. Like, uh, ben Carson, you mean? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, not quite yeah. like that. Uh, so, uh, Freakonomics Radio, Planet Money. Mm -hmm. uh, the Daily is something I listen to every single day uh, because it's a – that's where I get my news from. It's a New York Times. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's what, like 10 minutes or 15 minutes? No, it's day? longer than that. It's usually 20 to 30 minutes total. Okay. Which uh, is like a commute. Usually podcasts, at least exactly. for me, are, are like commuting – and making dinner, those are really my prime time. Yeah, for so it's really it's a it's an amazing podcast. Uh, so they pick whatever the hot topic of the day is because the New York Times. I mean, they're obviously reporting on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, that's what they're doing for the day. So, for example, today's episode was uh, the American women who joined ISIS. Okay, and these their main uh, reporter from Iraq and in uh, the Middle East actually went and found these two girls and interviewed them and you know, dialogued what their history was and story and uh, mm. stuff like that. So, um, and then like, for example, the day before yesterday was how New York lost Amazon. Uh, and the Parkland students one year later, um, all, all stuff like that. So that's my general news one. Um, and I've actually used daily podcasts in my classroom before. So there's such a diverse um, number of topics that uh, one that I used last year was genetics when they found the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so when yeah. they found the Golden State Killer, uh, that just happened to be when we were in our DNA unit. Um, and there was a lot of ethical things that were discussed in that podcast. So I used that in class as a tool for them to listen to. And then we we had a discussion on it. Um, things like the dollop. So the dollop is a, uh, a new podcast. It's not new, but it's a new one to me. 
this is all on biographies. Mm -hmm. So they pick a person and and one guy's a comedian. Actually, I think they're both comedians. Um, uh, but one guy plays the comedian for sure. And the other guy plays the more serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes there's gotta be like, here's the guy doing research and here's the guy who kind of can interject. Yeah. Comment. Yeah. Correct. So it's really, it, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for some more controversial figures like Andrew Jackson yep. and, uh, George Bush, uh, John McCain. That was a really, really, really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cause they, that one was really interesting cause they, they played him up. You know, he obviously has died and nobody has anything bad to say about someone That's, when they're dying. There's usually, yeah, there's usually like a couple of, especially with McCain and Bush, they'd be like, all right, well, certainly we're respectful of this person. Then there's, I always see not a couple of hot takes, but a couple be like, no, here's what we got to remember yep. about this guy as much as we're looking back in reverence. Yeah. So that's really interesting. What, um, are, your, what are some of like your deep cuts? What are some of your deep cuts? Um, like, I listen to, I have, you. I obviously have bicycle problems. Uh, everything in my life has to do with bicycles. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of cycling podcasts that I look like, that I look like, that I listen to. There's one from Velo News. Um, and then there's another one that a friend of mine actually does that I'm supposed to be on in the near future called uh, Road is Dead <laughs> uh, because of the decline in road racing and the increase in other kinds of racing that are out there. Um, another one, other ones that I actually have, this one's going to make me sound like the biggest nerd ever. Uh, I have a watch podcast that I listen to because I have a watch obsession. Yeah, but that's, I mean, there's there's a, a, a technical level of artistry that goes into making a watch. Oh, that's absolutely. Valid. That's valid. Absolutely. So uh, that one, I, I have like six or seven bike podcasts that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, another cool one is called The Indicator. Okay. Uh, the Indicator is literally, they just take a statistic and talk about it for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um so something that you would hear on the news. Another another guilty pleasure is weird medicine. Okay. Uh, weird medicine is uh, they just pick an ailment and they talk about this ailment. They basically take different people's questions. I can't remember the name of the the main doctor, but he used to be on uh, the Howard Stern show every t- all the time. Okay. Uh, so he was the go to doctor when he when Howie had some crazy question that he wanted an answer <laughs> to. Yeah. Um. So he would be on that show. So that's a really that's a really good show. Um, the adventure zone, obviously adventure zone. That's so, um, 100% that's on, on my <laughs> list as well, just because, um, I mean, D and D campaigns are, are sometimes few and far between just as you know, getting all those people in the room, but now yep. that you can share and it was funny because the first campaign that I had ever done is the first campaign that they do on the show. So uh-huh. it's like, Oh, okay. Here's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic to see how they're, going about this and just the creativity that goes into that storytelling and how they're approaching characters. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, you, you must remember this is a uh, podcast about old Hollywood. Um, so every podcast will center around, for instance, she did like a, it's a Karina Longworth is the host. She did like a Howard Hughes. Um, she did all the different, uh, behind the scenes of a star is born of the three different versions oh, of okay. stars born leading up into this, uh, WTF with Mark Maron is like a good go-to. Yeah, but uh, just like I listen to Joe Rogan, sometimes uh, it's all dependent on who the inter- interview subject is. So, uh, especially Rogan is publishing like two or three interviews every couple days. Uh-huh. So it's like it's kind of choose your own adventure. <laughs> That's a lot. What you want to do um, uh, a podcast? I really love. It's a pop culture podcast called Thirty Twenty Ten. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's it's kind of like a nostalgia looking back uh, what happened at least this year in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety nine, and two thousand. Oh, okay. 
of uh, TV, movies, music, and uh, video games. So it's really interesting um, to hear these perspectives and hear kind of what came out to shape that particular decade is really interesting. Um, what else I got here? Uh, tell them Steve Dave, which is like a vulgar discussion-based podcast from a couple of uh, Kevin Smith's friends. Adam Savage, uh, uh, still untitled. The Adam Savage podcast is really good. I have not, you know, I've seen that come up in my feed over and over, and I've never listened to it. That he's he's just the biggest nerd in terms of everything technical. Oh, absolutely. And, and so his, his attention to detail when he's talking about constructing a piece of art or constructing. Uh, a sword or a, like a, a suit of armor. Uh -huh. We're talking about a movie. I think his perspective, I think he was certainly the louder voice on Mythbusters. So it's interesting, yeah. interesting to see how he approaches things. Yeah. Um, so he, was the, he was the more human person too. Well, I believe, he had a personality. Song Exploder is really cool. So they get an artist on there and they, it's almost like director's commentary, but for a song. So they'll break down different parts of the track. Here's the, Here's the um, percussion. Here's the vocals. Here's all these things and how we constructed them and what we were doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, but that's, again, sometimes I only really care when it's a song that I know. Yeah. Uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, NPR, um, anything yeah. Crooked Media related. Uh, my two Crooked Media are Pod Save America and Keep It. Uh, keep It is more so like how I keep up with uh, like West Coast, West Coast culture because uh -huh. um, just they debate any number of things that are happening, but from a perspective that we don't necessarily see in the Midwest. Uh, what else do I got here? And then I think the last one, I think this is one, there's two actually, there's two that I think we could apply a lot in, in classrooms. One is this American life. Oh, absolutely. So this American life is always, there's this little story. There's this little snippet of a life or lives or a community that's showcased. And I think sometimes we can look at that for the storytelling, we could look at for what it's highlighting. If maybe they're arguing something about uh -huh. our world, uh, about our country, about our culture, that's something we can look at. That's really interesting. I have found I found myself because I, I used to listen to because um, I mean that was literally one of the original podcasts that yeah. were, that were out there that was really really popular mm -hmm. and still is. But I have found myself moving away from podcasts that I need more than one sitting to listen to in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, there's those 20 to 30 minute, like ones are quick. And I mean, when we're talking about like Rogan, he right. had a two, he had a two hour conversation with the CEO of Twitter. Exactly. So and this is, that causes me troubles. Yeah. It doesn't but, work for me. But then the other one, I think this one is shorter. And I think this is the biggest one that I think you could apply. And we both could apply is in design. It's called 99% invisible. Okay. Um, uh, Roman Mars is the host. And they talk about things. Uh, it's basically the hidden design in the world around us. Got it. So uh, one of the podcasts he talks about is he talks about the topic is uh, the design of a park, um, a, mun a municipal park. So how it is structured to be acoustically kind of quiet, mm -hmm. how it's sectioned off from maybe a busy street um, or from a busy area where there's a lot of noise pollution how it's sectioned off and how that park is designed so that it's a quiet area for play and for um, relaxation and, you know, to go and read in a park. One of those designs. I think the other thing was the uh, Roman Mars talks about is the evolution of basketball. It's like how basketball started, like you shoot in a hoop and then eventually they wanted tall people and that's where the dunk came from. Yeah. And then when they got sick of too many people just getting tall people to dunk, then they incorporated a three-point line. 
So kind of looking at the design of things that we think about and see every day, but we don't think about that extra layer of, well, why is it the way it is? Yeah. Which I mean, we could incorporate into, you know, if something's geometrically designed, we can look at that in math. If we're talking about the science behind something, that's certainly applicable in those disciplines. And even just looking at the world. I know in my reading class, we, we read a book on climate change and we started to look at how cities were constructed. Right. Uh, cities started as everyone lives in this hub. You travel in this hub. There's public transportation. You're walking in the middle of the street in the early 1900s to when cars in, get introduced and everything just spreads out. Correct. Uh, public transportation goes to the wayside. Um, parking lots take up the majority of major cities. Yep. Um, huge highways go in. The suburbs basically spring up in that kind of like baby boomer and post World War II era. Yep. So those kinds of things, that's how I would incorporate into that lesson of like uh, why our cities are just these like pollution traps, mm -hmm. why like, you know, cars negatively contribute, even though that's not like, well, what reading skills are you incorporating? Well, it's like <laughs> sometimes there's a skill unit, sometimes there's a thematic unit, and that thematic unit is how our world was constructed to contribute so heavily to climate change. Yeah. So I think that's just uh, any of these things that we've kind of talked about, whether they're news-based, science-based, journalism-based, narrative-based, discussion-based, I think we can kind of find connections into our curriculum. All right. So that's our time. We'll kind of end with our favorite podcasts. Uh, you know, this is an ongoing series. So by all means, um, uh, we'll figure out an email. We'll figure out some way that you can contact us if you are listening. Um, maybe incorporate maybe some we can do some listener questions or if you want to suggest a topic. Um, but from here on out, we are kind of looking to bring in guest speakers, uh, certainly from our school, the school that we all teach at, and maybe other schools or other kind of figures that have uh, a say on a particular educational topic. So um, with that, I'm Adam Ebert. I'm Rick Basa. And we are both proficient. <laughs>